0: Okay, so um, welcome to the first official episode of the Kissin's cousin, Kissin's cousin, Kissing Cousins Podcast. Uh, I'm Jacob, uh, and I am joined by my dearly beloved cousin, Johnny. I'm Johnny,
1: and I like And this
0: podcast... <laughs> we, we do... We're known to kiss. we <laughs> known kissers. Um, this podcast is two things. Uh, first, and most importantly, it's an excuse for Johnny and I to talk more regularly. And second... Uh, what we're gonna be doing is taking a close look at um, recent news through maybe a more philosophical lens. Uh, Johnny studied philosophy at University of Chicago while I studied the blade. And <laughs> this will uh, this will essentially be sort of a presentation of current events between a very knowledgeable party, Johnny, and uh, more of a lay person, which would be myself. And the goal here is to study closely not just the events themselves and their potential consequences, but also their direct antecedents and the less obvious societal or cultural phenomena that may have led to their happening. So today we're gonna talk about Biden's latest tax proposition. um, And these are the core elements of the proposal uh, in brief First, the top marginal income tax bracket would rise to 39.6%. Uh, this change would apply to 2022 income, so next year, uh, above 452,000 just about for individuals and a little bit above 500,000 a year for married couples. Um, and this will end up raising taxes on some individuals who earn less than $400,000, which we might get into later, uh, and also happen to be married which Biden did promise not to do during his campaign. So that's uh, point one. Point two, those earning income above 1 million a year would have their capital gains, uh, meaning any gains from the sale of assets like securities um, or uh, companies, uh, anything that you can have equity in, whether they're short-term gains or long-term gains will be taxed at 39.6% as well. Which is almost double the current rate. Uh, currently, all long-term capital gains are taxed at 20% flat, which uh, is already quite a lot, but uh, doubling that is, is definitely cause for alarm. And when you include the 3.8% net investment income tax, that rate jumps to actually, it ends up being effectively 43.4%. And if you include state income taxes on capital gains, Um, the tax rate ends up going all the way up to as high as 48% in states like California and New York. Uh, And then the last, probably least important part of this bill, but worth noting, is that uh, inherited assets that have gone up in value by more than a million dollars since the time they were bought would be taxed upon the death of the owner. So if you inherited a number of shares in like Tesla or something silly like that, um, that would be taxed at this new rate. So right now, the basis of those assets, uh, the baseline that sort of determines the amount of capital gains or losses is stepped up to fair market value at the time of the owner's death. So that would also be a big change, but probably less impactful than the other elements. So um, Johnny, I'm gonna toss it over to you first in in just a second here. Um, These kinds of tax propositions, um, this kind of legislation doesn't get proposed in a vacuum, obviously. Uh, and the best place to start is probably the beginning. So uh, before we talk about what this means and whether it's good or bad, uh, why do you think this is happening in the first place?
1: Um, Well, I think first it's important to put it in the context of what, of how the package of these taxes are coming in. So uh, the corporate tax increase is part of the, the, um, I think it's the American Jobs, um plan. So it's basically like the big infrastructure and climate bill, like two point three trillion. And then the capital gains, capital gains tax is the American Family Plan, which is like supposed to fund things like uh uh pre K, um, community college, um mm-hmm. basically like nutrition plans, paid family medical leave, things like uh expanding child care. So yeah. It's not like the taxes are just coming out of nowhere, but I do think that um, with a little look at the macro situation that ultimately the taxes do play a political purpose, but they're not necessarily unsupported in an economic sense. So like, um, these taxes w- the actual, the, for how expensive these bills are gonna be, the taxes are not really, you're going to pay for them, right? It's only like maybe
2: mm-hmm.
1: you can expect maybe um, in the best case scenario, maybe $100 billion out of, and we're talking about like- maybe Out of like two four, point, what, two point, yeah. I, I would say out of both of them, you're not looking at more than, you know, a hundredth of like what it's going to cost probably. Right. So right. part of it is, it does seem like um, that when it gets- Couched in the language that it's supposed to be paying for these things, it does come off a bit disingenuous. But I don't. Sure. Do you think that ultimately, like, there's so much widespread misinformation about regular old economics at play? There's actually a book I read called "The Myth of the irrational Voter" that talks about just like how um, voters are just so badly misinformed about economics that when they vote for people. Politicians actually do generally what people want them to do, but the results mm. are counterintuitive because right. the economics involved aren't understood, and so it creates a situation where people are kind of like voting themselves into a hole without understanding sure, that why. That makes
0: perfect sense. Anyway, yeah. so
1: take a step back. I think the first thing to realize is that if these things are, how are we able to propose? How are we able to fund trillions of dollars uh, when it came to like the CARES Act and the, the Biden did, uh, coronavirus spending. And it's not Presumably really, any printing. well, there's some interesting things going on. So, um, first point is that a government is not a household. So in a household, when you take on debt payments, you generally want to have an extra strategy to have all the debt paid off because eventually you're going to want to retire. But you're not, right. there's eventually at some point where, um, you're not going to be making the income to cover the payment, or you want to do something outside of your debt. Whereas a government, it's supposed to be in perpetuity. So you really only need to worry about debt payments, whatever your debt burden is. Or servicing your debt burden is, what it's, is the actual term for it. So. Um,
0: can you can you clarify just for for the listeners exactly precisely what that means?
1: Sure. So if I take in, you know, if I take a loan, I have uh, payments I have to make. Of course. And um, if I'm a household, I probably you know I'm thinking about oh like I can't just keep borrowing money because eventually
2: I'm going to have all
1: this money that I need to pay off because I want to retire. Right. Right. If the government they can actually keep borrowing money just in order to pay off those payments. Um, and all they ever have to do is worry about the payments. The actual size of the debt is kind of irrelevant. What matters is the amount of payments they have to make and um,
2: mm-hmm.
1: what that is relative to something like GDP. Now, currently, we're in a position where there's two ways of like thinking Like 130%? It. Well, that's the total. But we're actually in mm-hmm. a negative debt burdening scenario because of things like inflation and the cost of money to where we actually get paid to pay from debt. It's something like, um, like negative 0.2% as opposed to... You want to keep it under 2% of GDP, mm-hmm. but right now it's like uh, we're just doing so well that we're getting paid to take on debt. Very peculiar situation. Even though that the actual size of the debt is like 130%, like you said, of GDP.
0: Right. So, so when you say getting paid to take on debt, who is who is footing the bill there?
1: Is, well, the think uh, about it this way. like the, uh, purchasing
0: uh, sovereign debt or...
1: Yeah. So it's like, you know, government raises debt by uh, selling bonds and among other things, right. well, that's the, the major right. one.
0: So, yeah, that's an easy one. Yeah.
1: So um, inflation has a really important role with uh, uh, bond yield, basically. And um, essentially you can be in situations where you're just because of the inflation environment, you're actually, the debt that you got is actually taking you money that's just because of like, the way that we control inflation. I don't totally right. understand that situation, but it just happens to be the fact that that's what's happening right now. It's, it's, it's right, a very yeah. kind of weird situation. But another way you can think about it that's a little easier is that, in terms of um, the debt payments we have to make, they're paid off by 10% of the tax receipts that the government takes in already. So we're in a situation where we're like, highly covered in terms of how much, uh, in terms of making our debt payments right there's really no need in the sense of uh taking in more tax receipts to pay for things in just the in the strict sense of like not being able to pay for it because we already pay for our debt our debt payments. Right. like radically <laughs> like 90 percent of that money is like going back into the principal or using to like spend on things that are uh further discretionary or whatever so sure um that basically kind of creates a situation where it's like, why do we need to raise taxes ever right now? Because right. it doesn't seem like it's for the reason why. Um,
0: it's not eliminating debt in any meaningful sense.
1: Right. It doesn't. Like it doesn't. Right. But there's a couple of reasons you could argue why. So something like um, one thing we look at is like the output gap, which is difference between um, like basically how much demand there is versus um how much uh capacity there is in an economy so uh if you're you know something like basically the orthodox view of like um money management or not really money management i guess but just like orthodox macro view is that when you have an economy that's producing a lot of demand you want to raise taxes
0: Demand for goods. Yeah,
1: so like aggregate demand okay. for goods services. Basically, yeah. people wanting to spend money. So, yeah. um, when there's a lot of, when it's a, in a situation, because if you don't um, control the price of money in that case, and there's a lot of demand, inflation starts to get a little out of control. So you really, right. like, the orthodox view is like, okay, so you make money a little more expensive by taxing it, raising interest rates, things like that. And then when you're in like something like a recession, um, where, people need money, um, you're able to lower taxes and provide a boost that way, so that the mm-hmm. environment is, that you can actually instigate more demand. Because, you know, recessions right. are, I mean, what was interesting and difficult to talk about with this recession, it was the supply side recession. You know, it wasn't like people didn't want to spend money, it's that like supply chains were breaking down, There's an artificial stop basically on the economy that does not right. have to do with demand so much. Um, And so some of the economics are weird, but generally, like, you know, you'll see demand side, um, recessions more often. And in that case, you want to like promote, uh, demand by, you know, making it easier to get money, basically having less taxes, things like that. So you manage that because you don't, a lot of that's just man. you know, that's the fiscal side of managing inflation in a lot of ways because. The monetary side is like what basically the Fed does, which is um, introduce more money or take money out of the supply and also you right. dictate the price of money um, with interest rates
0: so and just just uh, interest rates are obviously a really important part of that equation, but just really quickly um, what mechanisms by which mechanisms does the Fed remove money from the, the overall money supply
1: um Yeah, I think removing money is like not really like uh, something that happens a lot because generally what uh, the Fed wants to do is keep a two percent inflation rate. There's always basically kind of some money going in because they're always wanting to raise it a little bit. Um, Right. But kind of just the you know, like the Fed buys uh, securities, they can sell those securities.
0: Are you there? I'm, I'm here. I think my video cut out, but the, don't worry about it. Can you not? Okay. <laughs> right. Okay. Uh, technical difficulties there. We are back now. So continue, Johnny.
1: Okay, yeah. So basically, um, because there's a, um, a target usually of 2% inflation, there's not so many cases where... The, they're actually trying to take money out but they can in the same way that they uh, put money back in which is if you want to put money into the economy one way you could do it is like um, with open market operations so you can basically buy securities from mm-hmm. uh, wherever you'd like usually it's you know sometimes like uh, I think like generally the case is they'll buy bonds from the uh, the Treasury Department and that's a way of basically, but they're just kind of like creating the numbers, right? Like it's not right, like they're right, right. sitting on a bunch of cash. They can just like kind of be like, all right, we're going to like buy these for yeah, the money exactly. that we just, you know, put in the computer and that will go into the economy. And in the same way they actually hold, I mean, the Fed makes like a lot of money because of basically the trades they do. So, um, and then they, they give that back to the treasury, their profits basically. Right. It's not like they need it. <laughs> so, um when uh, they want to take money out, if they want to do another way they can do it is uh, by um, selling those securities. Because when they sell it, that money goes with them, and then it can just evaporate if it need to. Sure. So, makes sense. Um, that's just like one mechanism. They could also um, do things like increase the reserve requirements uh, for um, all of the different state reserves. Um, and that can... Uh, Take money out if they need to, but that's generally not like a long-term solution. But you know, it's it's something like where you're playing. You know, I don't totally understand all the magic because it's held in uh, secrecy. I mean, it's like their private kind of like uh, deliberations on how they decide to do these things. But there's a lot you can learn about central banking, which
0: yeah. Um, so I think on the topic of secrecy, um, just I want to take a very brief aside here. Um, mm-hmm. We've talked about trust on. on previous podcasts, um, and at at great length at other times, um, when, when there's degrees of obfuscation, uh, between the government and its citizens, um, how, how much faith do you have? Like, I, I guess the, the question is, um, what, what degree of faith should we have in our government? How much trust should we have that they are acting in good faith is maybe the best way to, how do we know that the...
1: I think because of things like, I mean, if you just look at the culture of the Fed and
0: its political mm-hmm.
1: independency, I mean, it's like specifically like, you know, it's not like Trump could fire Jerome Powell when he wanted to. Like, there's there's definitely right, like, right. In, I mean, and the fact that they can't really like collude with the Fed or, you know, or like, they're basically responding to environments that are made politically, and, you know, I. Yeah, you know, I think, like, like Ben Bernanke are, like, geniuses. Like, I do – I ultimately help myself just off of, like, knowing the culture or my understanding of the culture of the Fed and its political independency. I do put a lot of faith into them. But I'm so, always playing against the political right. bullshit that's happening. Um, and
0: because of their independence, they're also – correct me if I'm wrong here. There's no body that audits the Fed.
1: Um. Yeah, I guess, but it's sort of like there is – I guess there's – I mean, I guess it just depends on, like, what you want to audit. Yeah, mm-hmm. I mean, there's some levels where you can't really – I mean, the secrecy is more in terms of, like – I don't remember all this audit the Fed stuff, but <laughs> I know, like, when it comes to the totally, secrecy, it's yeah, more yeah. in terms of, like, okay, what do this particular stress tests look like on each bank that is part of the, you know, the sure. Federal reserve system or – um, what, what are the deliberations look like in terms of, uh, determining what interest rate or like what open market operations do enact? Yeah. I think like, I mean, all like everything that do end up being public knowledge, you just go look, but I think ultimately a lot of like that stuff kind of comes from people who are, I mean, my, my opinion is like people like Ron Paul, who have like a very heterodoxical view of, uh, the economy and, I mean, like, it's usually, like, a lot of gold bugs really want, like, people who are, like, really, (laughs) (laughs) what it is, is generally, I mean, like, to be honest, it's usually people who are upset about fiat banking because of their heterodoxical views on the economy. It's usually, like, yeah, that's kind of, like, where it comes from.
0: Um, Yeah, 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 that that makes perfect sense.
1: Yeah, so, I don't know. Anyway, so, um, I do think, though, it's, like, fiscal policy. So, we're basically always talking about monetary policy right now. Fed manages the money supply basically.
0: Of course. Yeah. And
1: that's their that's monetary policy. Which has a huge you know so it's like the Fed for instance their mandate is um, to reach the natural rate of you know, basically to get as close to maximum employment as possible and to keep prices stable. And they do that by managing the money, supply and the value of money with interest rates and basically
2: right, right, right. like
1: so um that all is monetary policy. Fiscal policy also has important implications on um, the economy and money and things like that. And um, usually that is obviously way more subject to uh, political,
0: political powers.
1: Yeah. yeah. So that's where like um, hmm. you can have things where, you know, there's there are arguments, for instance, that raising the capital gains as high as uh uh Biden wants to raise them could be maybe not you know there's this Princeton study that said, you know, like maybe like forty percent is the optimal where you could still collect about, you know, another thirty five, fifty billion dollars, but you're not um disincentivizing investment enough to uh, where it would create a thing. But then you'll have you other agree people who with disagree that? with it. Uh, yeah I mean well, I I'm not an economist, right? So like I, I what I look at is like Um, other people say that that could be a little wishful thinking. And I see no no consensus on that more than anything. But I think basically Um, you can say that as high as they want to go is probably – I don't believe in these, like, catastrophic thinking, like –
0: Right. I don't think it's going to be, like, a disaster where there's just a total evacuation of capital from the U.S. Yeah. Um, But I have to admit
1: that it's political. Like, I do think ultimately, like – I can make some economic arguments for it um, that have to do where I was talking about like the outgap, output gap before, for instance, like income inequality really affects um, how much you can heat the economy. Because if too much money is going um, to a part of the population, such as the 1%, that usually likes to save their money more because they have less marginal propensity to use it, then, um, which basically means they spend less money. Right. Then you can't stimulate demand enough as much as you could because the motility of that money or the velocity, um, isn't,
0: is it's reduced it's not because moving it's just anyway. being held. Right.
1: Yeah. So like if, if it was being spent, you know, like you could actually, uh, have a more productive economy because there'd be more demand. So things like that where it's like, okay, like one thing you do have to end up doing is, and something I do believe in, I do think we need to like work on income inequality, but is that high of a capital gains tax, like what we should be doing. I don't know.
2: don't think there's like
1: a a surefire. um, A lot of it depends on like how strong you think people want the dollar to continue to be. Because if the if it really is going to um disincentivize investment in America yes. or um
0: well, it's uh, gonna disincentivize Americans from yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah,
1: then that could be bad, but there's a sense where because the US dollar is the federal I mean it's the reserve currency of the world, we have like a kind of unicorn situation where we have um a low interest rate but also a relatively robust bond market, we can really take on a lot of debt without it actually creating a lot of problems Mm -hmm. and um, that is a really favorable situation to be in if you're a company because that means money is easy to get
0: right? and it's safe. so the safety uh, the safety element is, is something that's really important. I don't want to get too off-topic. I think we should probably round back to d- discussing specifics. Yeah, sorry. This specific... is, this is No, the no, no. Are, yeah. It's important to understand all – like, this is exactly what I wanted to get to. It's really important to understand there are an impossible number of factors that play into the, the creation of this bill. It's obviously too much to cover in a single podcast.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, but, like, a general overview like that of what the what economic situations might lead to the proposal of legislature like this is important yeah. to – do. Um, I I think we did a a pretty good job of covering that. I'm going to pat myself on the back for letting you talk, Uh, (laughs) but um, one thing that sort of concerns me is um, do you think that that stability and that that safety uh, and the continued power of the dollar um, is true or do you think that it's illusory in a sense? Can it be, like how easily can that be disrupted? Based on things like uh, like the China's, the, for instance, the, like the just the strength of China's economy right now.
1: Um, I don't think there's any threat to the dollar. Personally, I don't. Um, I just think it's, it's too much um, investment. I mean, like you can see, like the fact that we can take on so much debt and yeah. still have really low uh, yields mm-hmm. on our bonds. Um, I mean, it's just it's it, it's a There's so much investment into America is basically what it is. Right. And, um, you know, there are like this is where things like the military ends up becoming important because Mm -hmm. uh, making sure trade routes are still open and this is where climate change can also be an issue because of the shifting geopolitical landscape with certain trade routes opening up where like the Navy really needs to be like invested in um, keeping uh, the seas open for us to Um, import, and export, or basically the world to continue to do so. Right, right, right. Because um, so many countries are banking on our ginormous military force to keep economic relations uh, stable. There's a lot of investment in that regard. It's just, there's just so much investment. I mean, like, I guess, like, things could catastrophically fail, but there's no real economic indicator that is, I mean, like, we're really, like, Everything, somehow, even with all the this spending, we've been really stable. There are some worries about inflation. So, I mean, we just had, and so there's, like, the money supply, there's M1. And then M2 is basically, like, the M1 is, like, really, like, liquid, like, cash, those kinds of things. M2, like, also includes things like mutual bonds and safety deposits. And we saw M2 go, like, spike 20% up in the last year, which is unprecedented, mm-hmm. like the 40s or something. Um, and so there's like kind of a concern where it's like, okay, why is inflation still below 3% when this is ha- you know, there's some, I think what it is, there's some really peculiar things happening, because there's a new thinking about deficit spending that comes from the fact that like, we really may be able to take on way more would debt you, payments than we have,
0: would past. you go as far as to say that that's like unprecedented? Yes. I mean, it's like okay. entirely new, right?
1: It's definitely so, like, we're just in a situation where it seems like, okay, there's some kind of stability here, despite the fact it's all this instability, you know, it's like, if you were to read the headlines, you just think we're in this like terrible, horrible situation all the time. But you really look at like the economics behind it and it's kind of like strange where you're like, okay, I guess we can like talk. Like I personally, from like the climate change side of things, I was like, oh, we're never going to get anywhere because it's gonna cost trillions of dollars, and now I'm like an optimist all of a sudden because it mm-hmm. just seems like okay, we at least like seems to be like there's some room where at least from the economic side like now you may have things that happen like the financial crisis where there's gonna be you know issues that aren't seen, but mm-hmm. like something like that was like that was like a global liquidity issue that still didn't really like destroy the dollar or anything yeah like it just seems yeah. like the dollars like there's so much investment in america that it's difficult to see the ways in which it would catastrophically fail i'm not saying it wouldn't right. but i think a lot of the ways that people try to um, hypothesize a catastrophe are really emotional and i i think tends to like get away from the realm of like the data, if that makes sense. Right. But it's not impossible. I'm never going to be like because everyone thought the housing crisis would be impossible. It's just the yeah. mechanisms that have been proposed. Me generally aren't um, very persuasive. Like sound.
0: Yeah. Okay. That yeah. makes sense. So going, getting back to the building, um, we've sort of discussed the the maybe the environmental factors that have led to the the proposal of this bill, um, but the going back to you know sort of where we started is. Um, do you find that this is justifiable uh, because you you brought up from the very beginning uh, that it seems like this bill doesn't it's not going to alleviate any of the, the sort of inflationary pressures of, you know, of printing, which I think is one one part of the emotional response to this. It just seems like a way to my, my emotional response to this is um, something like, you know, it seems like the ladder is getting pulled up for Americans that are interested in becoming wealthy. Uh, because I think generally speaking, if you're already rich, um, you you're going to be well informed on how to protect your assets from this kind of taxation um, you're going to have you know if you're if you're ultra wealthy uh, you're probably going to have some kind of offshoring situation maybe residency in Monaco or Belize or something uh, where you can move your assets there and then sell them and they're, where they're subject to zero capital gains tax. Um, if, 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 it's, if you need to sell them or something like that. Obviously, it's kind of a weird situation, but um, what it looks like to me, uh, the easiest by far uh, way to obtain wealth in America right now um, is to found a company, uh, which means this, this bill uh, really hurts startups. It hurts founders of startups. Uh, it hurts uh, like founder level employees of startups Um, I personally have an equity stake in a startup that I work for, so this is definitely like disheartening for, for somebody like me, um, to where, you know, it, it it may in fact disincentivize people from starting companies, uh, if the intention is to create an exit event for your company. So, uh, what what's you, what a What is your response to that? And then b Do you have any kind of emotional response to this bill?
2: Um.
1: Well, I do think it hurts. I do think there's truth in what you said about the options. Um, that's just a fact.
0: Right. <laughs> I mean,
1: that's not. It, it. I think it does. It does.
0: Um, it seems like the purpose hurt, of this I, is, I is can, to make I it harder to that. get rich.
1: It it doesn't hurt
0: people that are already wealthy. It makes it harder to get rich.
1: But you also have to take basically a longer view when you're looking at things like this. So there is good data to suggest that they will even, you know, start to become profitable after 15 years or something. Mm When it comes to infrastructure, um, all the investments that are being made and child care, like those things like legitimately like create more demand um, and stability in the economy. So if you're looking at wealth generation, it's it's one of those things where it seems like harder in the beginning, but it creates more um, opportunity in the end. I think, but it's hmm. I do think it's hard to see that, especially if you have a lot of like capital costs and starting a new company or something like that. Like, yeah. It, it can seem like basically like very difficult. But I don't. I mean, another way of thinking about it is that um, you know these things are going to change right like i mean like like for one like even though it's a huge increase in like the corporate tax rate it's still not higher than pre-trump cuts so there's Mm -hmm. still a situation where it's like okay you know like whatever the thinking is it's not like entirely just because i feel like if it was just entirely political it would just be oh we're just going to make it higher than trump Mm
2: -hmm.
1: you know or we're going to make it higher than it was before there is some sort of calculation where like okay we actually saw this wasn't So bad, but maybe we can make a little more money off of it without discouraging too much investment. Right. And um, you really do have to look at the whole ecosystem when it comes to stuff like that. Like if you don't have like people who have the ability to get jobs because they have to take care of their children or they uh, don't have roads to drive on to get to their work, bridges are breaking. You know what I mean? Like that also will create problems that um, a little investment in the entire economy would alleviate. So, when I'm thinking, it's hard. My emotional reaction always is like I don't want my taxes to rise. Like I mean, it's not like a difficult like you know have. Like I pay a lot of taxes. Like I pay state taxes, in a state I don't even work for.
0: Yeah. Like
1: you know sometimes I get like frustrated. But when I'm thinking about it as if I was a policymaker, um I'm a little more sympathetic because I do think it's important to uh, have a strong economy in general. So I don't know. So uh, you know, would I personally raise the rates as high as they're being raised? I, I think they're good arguments not to. I think they're good arguments to at least raise them a little bit, but there are some things I don't like totally love. Um, the step up basis, eliminating that. I think it's kind of just a little complicated. Kind of easier if you just inherit a property to just have it step up in basis and not uh have to worry about what it was yes. when yeah. you got it like but i also think that like investing in the irs is probably a good thing if that money is going to like basically close loopholes and like you know because it's difficult for the irs to go after really rich people it's very like right cost not very cost effective because they don't have the budget for it so i do think like if you're going to have a tax system needs to be like adhered to,
0: you know, because
1: uh, unfortunately, then it becomes regressive. And
0: I think right. eventually, that's certainly fair. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I think like a general principle I hold is like progressive taxation is actually a good thing because it closes income inequality while not trying to eliminate it or anything. You still have incentives to make more and more money. But some of that money just goes back to investing in the entire economy, that the environment where you were able to get wealthy in the first place. But I am pro-wealth. Like, I do think it's important to, like, have incentives. I think, almost on a moral level, I'd like to never see capital gains taxes higher than income taxes. Because I think you do have to inherit some risk in a way you don't when you have an income. Um, You may put money into something and it it may, you know, end up not being productive. Um, So you're always, like, having to manage a type of opportunity cost that um, I think should be compensated. Um, but I also, I think if there's empirical data to suggest that you can make it the same, um, as income and then, uh, it still wouldn't discourage investment or growth because growth is generally good for everyone. You know, it's just, you also want it to be something that people can take part in. Um, so I don't know, you know, like I, I think if there's, I don't want like, if there's some good empirical arguments for being able to make it the same, then I can at least accept the argument, but I've been of the opinion for a long time that I don't, I didn't buy the Democrats' mainline thinking that it should be the same as income. But, you know, maybe there's an argument to say that, like, because the returns are so good and they do only affect, basically, like, I, I think it's something like 1% of um, Americans make, like, 77% of, like, or pay 77% of, like, all the capital gains costs, which means, like, that um, it's clearly, like, only affecting small number of people. Right. I mean, there's a good argument for that, but I do think so. There's good. there's room for debate, and it's hard for me to get emotional about stuff where I can see good arguments on both
0: sides. A couple factors to consider, I think, um, the timing of this seems extraordinarily convenient with uh, the, the sort of explosion of retail investment that's happened in the last year and a half mm-hmm. since the beginning of the coronavirus pandemic. Um, I think a lot of people have actually become you know, sort of overnight millionaires through either through like meme stocks like GameStop uh, or trading cryptocurrencies, um, obviously, which are significantly harder to tax uh, because it's easy to move those assets around uh, and they're highly liquid right now. Um, Do you think, uh, I guess, uh, just as important as the sort of like broad view uh, economic factors that have led to this proposition what do you do you think there's any any merit to the idea that there are immediate, like, um, sort of more recent uh, happenings that have that have informed this decision?
1: Um, something I've been wrestling with trying to understand, because I know a lot of the coronavirus spending, the direct payments, I'm a big fan of direct payments. I think it's better than, like, paternalistic programs, um, but. Um, I think a lot of, you know, a lot of it went to savings. That's why part of why, uh, we were talking about the M two, uh, indicator,
2: mm-hmm. um,
1: saving deposits are a huge part. And so much of that money went into savings, especially because I mean, which is kind of predictable, the recession, yeah. they usually save when money's a little tighter. Um, but you also had things like people like a huge spike in retail investment because of, um, or retail trading. Um, because I, people just had all this money
2: <laughs> I and mean, like, right. what
1: do I do? I can't really spend right, it right, or I right. don't want to spend it. So, um, so I guess like, yeah, because it seemed like this was a thing that, you know, hurt poor people worse eventually. So I do, and I think you also have to keep, they so, like, it wasn't really that bad for rich people. Mm-hmm. Like. I'm not rich, but like I made more money during the coronavirus than I did before. You know what I mean? Like it was like, and I bought a house. Like I did a lot of things that like, because I had little access to money, I was able to, um, accomplish. And I think there was like, there was a lot of opportunity for people. So I think you have that. And then you have, um, the political reality, which is that usually what happens in midterm after, presidential election is the party that won the presidential election um, generally gets slaughtered the next Mm -hmm. the next midterm Um, and it's a very precarious situation because the Democrats hold such a slight majority in the Senate they could easily lose the Senate they could easily lose the House and they need both they don't they can't even they don't even have enough votes basically to um, go over uh, the filibuster. So everything has to be done through reconciliation. And uh you really just have like basically a 51 vote majority. So every Democrat has to agree to it, which is right not the case.
2: Right, you have someone like
1: Joe Manchin, who's like very basically like a Republican. So you just have this situation where it's like, what we need to do is we need to pass the most popular shit possible so that we have a chance of doing anything for the next two to six years.
0: Yeah.
1: And, uh, I think that's another calculation that ha- that isn't. It, it is political, but it's like politi- political economy in a sense because you have to worry about. There's a lot of things that um, a lot of other kinds of spending that the Democrats want to do, and if they can't win an election, um, it might. You know, they're they're not going to have literally won't have the political capital to accomplish their goals, and so they may have to. Basically create slightly worse economic environments just to be able to hopefully on balance make a better one right so I think you have to you know I, I don't know exactly like how much that would be articulated by anyone in power, but I think that's like kind of like an obvious i mean it's like why you see like the first you know the basically the biggest thing that the Republicans did under Trump in his first two years was uh, the tax cut um. Now, this is basically a version of a tax cut to lower income people by giving them more money and more programs.
2: It Mm -hmm. just comes
1: with um, a type of tax that Democrats like to see. And I do think there's just a a lot of populism on both sides. So it's not necessarily like this is the best. You know, I think there are arguments that it's not horrible, but it's pretty clear that like I mean, there's also a lot of arguments that like corporate tax rate should be really low. and that you can just make up for that by having, you know, higher income taxes or, you know, like even crazier stuff like uh, different types of like land value taxes and things, you know, whatever you want to do. But um, yeah, I don't know. It's just it's you have to kind of like manage all of that at once. And so I think like, if you, you know, for me, it's a little too much, but I also would like the Democrats really promise, you know, I really want to see, like, for instance, a carbon tax. And maybe that's not going to happen in the mm-hmm. first two years. And if it doesn't, and they don't win. Then, then they're probably losing on the, the most agreed upon economic tax of all time that needs yeah. to be implemented. Um, and that could be dangerous, too, you know what I mean? So it's like, I personally, and in the calculation, I'm like, well, if that's the thing that may actually get this thing I really want passed, maybe it's worth it.
0: But sure, yeah
1: yeah, it's difficult to think about, um, on a personal level though. I think managing that, I think if you don't try to manage like what the economic thinking is, and if you can't find anything like that, it can like create anger. Like I see it in like my parents, for instance, like they, they they're not looking at the big picture because they're looking about the thing that they're responsible for, which is their,
0: picture. right. It's protecting their wealth there. Yeah. So you can't thing. like,
1: yeah. it's like, that's a real thing. You really have to think about that. Of but, course. Yeah. Um, and I think that does cause you know there are people that like teeter on that you know they're doing well, but they're they get lumped into kind of um tax environments that aren't yes. necessarily like they're not necessarily the person you know the demographic that's uh needing to be taxed in that way, yeah, but I also feel like pretty much everyone's gonna feel like that if they're like not the yeah you know, the main beneficiaries <laughs> yeah. I think that's just like something you have to like manage um but you also have to have faith or uh, some sort of awareness or understanding of what the argument is. And I think and I I, something like, for instance, like it turns out that I don't think the Trump tax cut was as bad as I thought it was going to be. Like I, something mm-hmm. I had to come to terms with. I, I think it could have been better, but it turns out, you know, we didn't overheat the economy we are still in this really precarious situation where it's like you were in a good economy and he heated it up by giving tax cuts like we talked about that orthodox view where generally you're supposed to like in a good economy maybe it's time to slow it down a little bit he did the exact opposite and it doesn't seem to have really destroyed or rocked the boat or anything you know despite the fact it went through a pandemic <laughs> like
0: right right
1: um, so sometimes I have to sit back and be like maybe uh, you know, like, it's good to not just get kind of, like, ideological about these things, and I think I was the kind of person who was a little ideological when that happened, where if I had, like, maybe tried to look at it more from an economic viewpoint, and maybe, I think also, too, it was like, that just was, like, not the general consensus, too, it was kind of like, okay, maybe this is yeah. not a good thing to do, but it ended up being not so bad, <laughs> like,
0: Ta- taxes um, are definitely something where it, it seems like in either direction it's very difficult to be charitable towards any kind of <laughs> it's hard to yeah. hard to really like feel good about any kind of um increase or decrease in taxes because of the potential consequences it's um the unknowability of of these things um like you said this is sort of we're in very unprecedented territory um, does that scare you at all like the We're in in some sense. We're sort of like experimenting with economy at scale uh, on, a, on a national and even global scale
1: um, Well it generally for me my first feeling is like it really just depends on how much you think climate change is an existential threat to mm-hmm. global economic affairs, I don't get a very serious issue and so when it seems like you can actually take bigger risks on spending Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that gets me really excited. I don't get that's scared.
0: I, that's net good because it, because that means that, like, there's the, a, a strong possibility that we'll be able to, like, print trillions of dollars towards, like, solving very real existential crises rather than tax proposals.
1: <laughs> yeah, uh, it's a real – yeah, I mean, like, it's impossible to overstate how dramatic the – I mean, like, to me, like, climate change is not, like, an environmental issue so much as it is an economic and human rights one. Mm-hmm. Where there 's just going to be so much economic damage like it 's going to be one of these situations where basically like how the pandemic like it hurt poor people but it didn't hurt rich people it 's like that 's basically what 's going to happen on a massive massive scale but to the point where it 'll start to hurt everybody really 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 badly. There are things we have to do right now to make sure we can mitigate a lot of that damage because it you know has like exponential um, i can 't think Say, but it's basically, like it's going to get worse and worse if we don't do anything. Of course, yeah. So, um, yeah, so for me, my initial response is like, oh, wow, we can spend more money than I thought we could. Yeah. That's exciting because it gets me that, a little off. Yeah. I'm not so like, oh, it's all, it's, it's unethical to have kids because, you know, it's like, I'm, my whole yeah. thinking about the world has started to shift a little bit because it's like, okay, maybe if we have the political will, it seems like we have the economic capacity. And that's not something I always... Thought about, you know, or something I always believe. So no, I don't get. I'm not. Um, and maybe that's, you know, these things should. Come. I think like part of like the reason why we also like are instigating taxes when we don't necessarily need to is a sense of like keep, you know, being kind of conservative, where it's like okay, like yeah, it seems like we could spend a lot more or borrow a lot more and spend a lot more than we currently do, but uh, we also want to make sure our investors, which are the world, know that we have some semblance of austerity. So Mm -hmm. we're taking in some taxes and trying to be, you know, somewhat, uh, responsible in a kind of like, um, orthodox view of tax and spending. Um, but I personally am like, all right, let's just like, see how far we can take this. (laughs) I, I mean, like not within outside the realm of possibility, but I, I personally think that, um, uh, it's an exciting time and it's one where you know if we can just like you know if we can get out of the political bullshit of each side basically blaming each other for deficit spending when they're not in power we could actually accomplish some like really awesome things that ought to really uh benefit both sides of the spectrum right because you can do a lot of these things you can solve climate change with market-based solutions i mean that's kind of the thing what's great about something like um the um, carbon tax and dividend is that you're just basically taxing carbon and then you're flat redistributing all of that money to everybody. So it ends up being progressive, but it's also revenue neutral and it has no paternalism. So there's no administrative costs and there's no right. value except besides the fact that like, Oh, like, you know, we need to price carbon. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, you know, things like that are, like, designed, basically, to, like, so everyone can feel like they come, came home winning. But you have to get over this fact that, like, it, you know, no one really, no one seriously cares about deficit spending outside of the political spectrum.
2: Mm-hmm. It's,
1: it's completely, like, an ideological um, uh, Trap. It, yeah, basically. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, I mean, obviously there's there's limits, but we're like in a situation where it's like, oh wow, we can go a lot harder.
0: Right, and, and it, we really there need seems to. to be a lot of a lot of fear mongering around people, like references to the debt to GDP ratio uh, that we talked about briefly, um, like you said, a, a maybe a misunderstanding of like what overall the importance of like the actual. Total amount of debt that any any specific nation, especially the, the United States, the United States accrues. The United
1: States, all the United States
0: coming together. <laughs> um, but I, I think that's a good that's a good place to tie it off. I, I really like talking to you about stuff like this. I always walk away a little bit more optimistic. Um, I think probably most of the people that are going to listen to this are uh, maybe a little closer to my end of the 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 sort of like ultra liberal uh, political spectrum of you know, any kind of, like, taxation is rape, and uh, any <laughs> any kind of, like, progressive taxes is, is not to be looked upon kindly, and especially a capital gains tax, where uh, it's it's easy to look at something like this and immediately see all net negative, where capital gains is already a type of tax that's basically a double dip, because you're getting your income taxed, you're investing your income, and then you're getting the gains from that investment tax. Um, it's, a, it's a feels bad tax, for sure. But um, in the grand scheme of things, if this if this opens up towards um, more progressive, like carbon tax style legislation, then uh, obviously it's a net good. So um, yeah. it's easy it's easy to get even if it doesn't. You know, even if those things are not correlated at all, um, it, it's good to put things in perspective. Sometimes this is one of those things. This is one of those things where you read a headline, you get fuming without really considering any of the the long-term second-order effects, so... Um. Yeah,
1: I would say that, like, I'm not an economist, or, mm-hmm. you know, like, I'm just, like, an amateur, like, economics lover, um, and there's just so many different think tanks uh, that you can read into about all of this stuff, so I, I recommend doing that over looking at headlines.
0: Of course, yeah. <laughs> or like, yeah. reading
1: like real like, reading, like, I don't know, if you're going to read Fox... Like you should just be reading <laughs> Forbes or something if you want to do But like, really, there's just so much research that's done that's like made for people to be able to read. Like, I'm not an economist, but like, I feel like I understand economics so much because of like the work that think tanks do. And there are going to be like people like you know, on the right, like Cato, the Tax Foundation, if you want to be interested in that. But like, I read that. I'm not on the right, but I like I get a lot of valuable information because it turns out like there's a lot of level headed thinking that goes mm-hmm. on in, uh, the, like, economics think tank world. So I do think it's good to, like, get your information from economists
2: as opposed
1: to journalists or
2: entertainers.
1: (laughs) And that, you know, because you just see so much, like, misinformation about the economy because it's not being driven by economists. Right. Like, I'm just kind of a believer that, like, economists should be driving the conversation. (laughs) (laughs) But, uh, yeah, so I would, like, anything you see or hear – you're interested in this conversation like I, I definitely recommend you going and researching you'll learn so much more that way and i also don't want to be like the final word on anything because this is just me regurgitating information i find <laughs> trustworthy <laughs> you know so anyway all right uh, i can't see you
0: that's fine i'm not i'm not super worried about it. as long as you can hear me it's all good but i hear you well, uh, I, I wanna give can you a kiss, can you would... hear me kiss yeah Mwah. Mwah. all right all right have a good one
2: <laughs> you too All right, cool.